This is KPFA or KPFB, Berkeley or KFCF in Fresno, online at kpfa.org. It's 3 o'clock. Please stay tuned now for Stone's Throw on Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone coming up next here on KPFA. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. And this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Ah, my goodness, why is everyone being so dismissive of Charlton Heston? The poor actor has died. He's 84. He had the incipient Alzheimer's. He had spoken of this a while back uh, <laughs> when Michael Moore was picking on him. Oh, yes, um, even the mainstream media keeps running those lines, you know, when he uh, challenged Al Gore. And he talked about having uh, Al Gore having to take the gun from his dead, cold hand. He was kidding, folks. It's a gag. He's an actor. He knows who he is. He's putting you on. Uh, actually, he's an authentic actor, unlike Ronald Reagan. Uh, of course, he was also a good Republican, especially in later life. Uh, Haston was a pillar of the community. In the 50s, he worked for the civil rights movement. Like so many of these Hollywood guys, you know, he started out with the right idea, and then he kind of got stuck Um but he gave a great deal of time and money and effort to the community. I remember once he was getting an award for a humanitarian project. Uh, it was at the Oscars, I think. Got a special award, and he said that no one would uh, pay any attention or think that it was news if he weren't a film star. He says that he was just doing uh, his uh, his duty as a uh, uh member of the community and a good citizen <laughs> and a great movie star. What a movie star. Who can forget the Ten Commandments? I'll never forget Anne Baxter. You remember Heston played Moses and Moses decides to lead his people out of Egypt and Annie Baxter cries out, Oh, Moses! You great big fool, you. I think that was the exact line. Anyway, it, it was awesome. Um, Ann Baxter had to settle for Yule Brenner. You remember, here's the pharaoh. Uh, Charlton Heston got Yvonne DiCarlo. Uh, 
he was a lot better in Ben-Hur. Uh, that was a few years later. Uh, and actually, he was pretty cool by the time he was in Touch of Evil. You know, Touch of Evil. That's the one with Orson Welles and Marlena Dietrich. Uh. <laughs> oh, Charlton Heston. He said Orson Welles didn't know how to talk to the money people. Uh, remember, in the end, actually, it's Orson Welles who's dead in the water, but the wonderful uh, epigraph or last line is delivered by Marlena Dietrich as she looks down at uh, Welles, who's been shot and is lying dead in the ditch. <clears throat> she says, What does it matter what you say about people? <laughs> the same for Charlton Heston. Uh, I remember a scene in Ben-Hur with Stephen Boyd. It has a, a, a subtext, a kind of homoerotic subtext uh, written by Gore Vidal. And Gore Vidal always makes fun of Chuck. He says Chuck just didn't get it. Uh, said that um, Heston didn't didn't even get it when he was playing Michelangelo, um, one of history's greatest homosexuals in that movie, The Agony and the Ecstasy, you know. Of course, he was with that other straight man, Rex Harrison. Who knows? Actually, I think that Charlton Heston was not without a sense of humor, certainly a straight sense of humor. Um, he was a businessman, a very good businessman. And as I say, uh, he uh, he knew how to uh, how to deal with the business of being a film star. Uh, in the documentary Columbine, made by Michael Moore, Michael Moore set him up. Uh, I remember I was impressed because Charlton Heston made a proper appointment. He said he would see Michael Moore at 8 a.m. Not bad for a man of 80, yes. Uh, he was very polite, and he tried to relate to uh, Michael Moore, but obviously he didn't know what he let himself in for. And when it became obvious that Michael Moore was going to skewer him. He simply got up and walked away, hanging on to his dignity. Uh, as I say, Charlton Heston knew who he was. He didn't uh, try to be a politician like um, Ronald Reagan, you know. Ronald Reagan believed in government by anecdote. Um, Heston knew his limitations, he didn't run for office, and uh, that means he did not deregulate the economy or louse up the lives of the people. Uh, I think that the quintessential role for Charlton Heston was that of the player king in Hamlet. Now, you may have missed that. Uh, Kenneth Branagh did a production, a movie of Hamlet, in which he used every line they could find track down that every line we think Shakespeare wrote and it runs oh more than four hours I think uh, it's the one with Kate Winslet uh, as Ophelia and Julie Christie uh, Derek Jacoby anyway there's a magnificent scene when you know they try to trick the king Hamlet tries to trick the king he puts on a play which uh, imitates 
the murder of his father by his uncle. And uh, in that scene, there is an actor, a touring actor, who plays the king, the player king. And Charlton Heston accepted the role, uh, which was very nice of him to do. It was quite late in his career, and I think he probably did it as a special uh, favor. And I think he got the joke, the, <laughs> the notion... Yes, that if, if anyone should play the player king, it was Charlton Heston. Uh, I remember thinking uh, at the time that Kenneth Branagh understood what he was up to. Uh, there's a short interview I think I heard last night or the day before. It was that maybe it was um, Terry Gross, in which um, Charlton Heston describes his love of theater. He says that as a child, as a young boy, at 10 or something, he lived way back in the deep woods and he had to make up his own, his own fantasy world. Uh, he was isolated and, uh, we all know that that's real. Um, I think he was a fantasist and, uh, that he was, um, what is the word, uh, <laughs> I think we can call it an artist. People say unkind things about actors. Uh, what was it? They always say that what an actress is always something more than a woman, but an actor is always a little less than a man. I don't know why we feel this need to um, put them down. I keep comparing him to Ronald Reagan, who uh, I think was a clear and present danger. I remember when he uh, died, when Ronald Reagan died, I said some uh, unkind things about his role in our political history, and I got some feedback, some mail from people telling me that it was unkind to be mean to such a sweet old man. No, no, I think that uh, we have to be honest with ourselves. Uh, Charlton Heston may have worked, may have, uh, what is that, uh, tried to sell the uh, uh, the NRA, the National Rifle Association, but uh, uh, that was just one more acting role for him. I only bumped into him once. He came backstage in 1953, and I can't for the life of me remember what play I was in. It was at UCLA. And I went down there for a summer theater, a workshop. I had classes there for a summer session. And there was Charlton Heston, the tallest guy in Hollywood. And he came backstage to pat us all on the head and give us encouragement. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, God bless him. He is gone now. I hope people keep these things in perspective. I thought of him, what is that, as a Hollywood elder. And I ran across a fabulous article last night, and I put, uh, I put it next to Charlton Heston. It's Hollywood's uh, newest best elder, and that's Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yes, Morgan Freeman has inherited the role. Uh, Morgan Freeman... Is supposed to give us psychic safety. Uh, he's, what is that? Um, he's another one who is 
low-key about his charities. He's got a foundation called the Rock River Foundation, and he's given millions to 4-H clubs to teach for America and other educational institutions. I once ran for the secretary of the Arizona 4-H club. (laughs) I won, yes. Anyway, lasted about four months till I moved to La Jolla. Anyway, with Morgan Freeman, it says that most of his efforts are dedicated to the Mississippi Delta region. He's one of those who's gone back home, gone back to the south where he was born and raised, uh, says here in uh, this magazine, the AARP November-December issue, it says here that uh, after Hurricane Ivan in 2004, Morgan Freeman helped the relief fund, the Grenada Relief Fund, was established to rebuild the devastated Caribbean island. More than five decades ago, Uh, When he left Mississippi, Freeman couldn't uh, imagine ever wanting to return. But when his mother got older, around 1990, he moved back to Mississippi to spend time with his mom. By then, she was living in what had been her parents' house in Charleston. And Morgan Freeman bought adjacent land and built his own home next door. While he was growing up in Mississippi... His professional prospects and even his options for self-expression were certainly limited. Yes, for a black man, defying a white person in power could have fatal consequences. Uh, Let's see now. Uh, What did he do? There's a long list of his, uh, his, uh, what would you call it, his awards, his prizes. He's getting up there. Morgan Freeman, but I think he's played he's played the president three times. I think he's played God already. Uh, he is still, on the other hand, he is still a tough liberal. There's one joke here in the article. Uh, uh, oh, it's a dinner. Yes, an intermediary at a dinner which was a tribute to Clint Eastwood at the Kennedy Center Honors. Uh, Someone approached Freeman with a request from the Mississippi senator and former segregationist, you know, Trent Lott. (laughs) They asked Morgan Freeman if Trent Lott could come to the star's table and meet him. And Morgan Freeman calmly replied, I don't see any reason why. Oh, just tell him you can't find me. Morgan Freeman's ancestors worked the soil of Mississippi, and his mother is buried on his land. Where her modest house still stands, there is a reminder of where he came from. He says, uh, you know, you go around the world, you eat in the best restaurants, you stay in the best hotels, but here, he said, here, we remember the peace and the quiet that solitude brings. And he realized that it's always represented safety. Now, that's funny to me. I can't imagine why Mississippi would represent safety to this guy, but uh, Freeman taps the side of his head and he says, uh, it's psychic safety. 
It's where I tell people I'm supposed to be. Uh, Now, there was something else in this article that I wanted to tell you about, and I can't remember. Uh, It wasn't about Paul Newman, who is another elder, but uh, I think Morgan Freeman gets the mantle, definitely. Uh, Let's see. This guy has played Nelson Mandela. Uh, Yes, he's up there with the Dalai Lama and Clint Eastwood. Uh, He says, I remember something my father would say to me when I was growing up. Uh, He said, if I was complaining about something, yes, it wasn't going right. Uh, Just readjust your plan. Okay. I think... Yes, uh, let me just give you the the uh, the date on this article. It's by Nancy Griffin, and you can look it up. It's long and complicated and very sweet. Uh, it's pictures of Morgan Freeman in his restaurant. Uh, he lives in a town that's the birthplace of the blues. Yes. Uh, It's got lots of pictures of him and of his children and all this wonderful, nice stuff about his being a modern sage. And it talks a lot about his uh, his films and how he's kind of a Zen master and so centered and elegant and transcendent. Yes, he learned from his parents. Yes, that you got to transcend everything. It's what my mother used to say. (laughs) Anyway... It's the November-December issue of the AARP, you know, the Old Folks Magazines from 2007. And as I say, I think that Charlton Heston, the mantle passes from Charlton Heston to Morgan Freeman. And that happened when Charlton Heston died the other day. Uh, uh, it's funny because uh, Freeman... Is it? He has that moral gravitas, a moral center, uh, but he is not a politician, thank God. Uh, Hollywood does create some, what would we call them, icons. Uh, a young woman who played Edith Piaf, remember, she said, There are some angels in Los Angeles. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, these are wealthy folks, and it's funny when they hit the big time, their characters are uh, revealed. Those who don't make it to superstardom tend to uh, tend to go a little sour. Um, I was interested to notice that Morgan Freeman had something that I associate with so many uh, successful artists. He had the right high school English teacher. He had a little epiphany in the Air Force. He thought that he wanted to be a soldier and uh, that he wanted to be a flyer, yes, killing the enemy as a fly guy in the World War II. But uh, his English teacher taught him enough. He said that uh, she made him realize that what he was in love with was the idea of killing the enemy not the reality. He understood that it was just a romantic myth that this warrior culture is just all about theater. He says when it comes down to it, his real hero in life was his mother. And uh, 
Let's see. They give us a list of the blues singers who created the heritage that he's trying to promote. And uh, like Charlton Heston, he's doing what responsible citizens do. Uh, he's supporting his community. And at the same time, he's maintaining the heritage of his ancestors. Uh, promoting the general welfare, a good idea. <laughs> anyway, uh, let me read you a little bit of my favorite uh, message for the week. It comes from the New Yorker once again in the annals of religion. It's all about these guys in Barack Obama's church. I've been having a little trouble with this one because I I, I was mostly angry because um, Barack Obama seemed to feel the need to deny the message that Jeremiah Wright was putting out. After all, uh, this was the message of black liberation and deliverance. Now, this guy, Jeremiah Wright, the, the pastor, the preacher at uh, uh, Trinity Church on the south side of Chicago. Uh, it's the Trinity United Church of Christ, you know, the one where they're having all these problems. Uh, Obama seemed to feel that he had to say, well, he had to say that uh, his pastor was out of touch with the mainstream that he didn't agree with him. Now, uh, <laughs> I, I guess, I guess he had to do that. I guess he's a politician, uh, and it's true that um, there are a lot of prosperity pimps in that business that uh, upset people. But um, Jeremiah Wright has retired, so he's out of the picture. The new guy's name is Moses, and the article is called Project Trinity. The Perilous Mission of Obama's Church. It's in the New Yorker magazine of April the 7th, 2008. And the picture gives you, uh, uh, in the pews, you see Frederick Douglass and um, Malcolm X and uh, the Reverend... Martin Luther King, and then in the very back row, you see Obama. <laughs> yes. The message here is they know damn well what they do, yes. Uh, Good Friday on the south side of Chicago at Trinity United Church. Um, the preacher in the pulpit was uh, doing an annual sermon uh, every Good Friday. The church holds a... Uh, a service featuring seven sermons from guest preachers, and uh, they call it the seven last words of Christ. And each one of them preaches on a theme from the crucifixion. And of course, <laughs> they they kept making references this last um, Good Friday to the uh, the crucifixion that was going on in the media. Uh, about Jeremiah Wright and his sermons. Um, one of the preachers looked at the scene outside the church and he saw so many reporters out there taking notes. He said, I hope you're tithing. That is, I hope you're giving money to the church. Uh, 
Now, millions of people who have no particular interest in African-American religious institutions are now very interested in this uh, Reverend Jeremiah Wright, Jr. Uh, He hit Good Morning America on March 13th. And, uh, of course, what they did was, uh, well, they're using the the phrase sound bite, you know, like a a hammer here. Uh, They insist that this guy is a fiery, noisy, 60s-influenced spiritual advisor to Barack Obama. And, of course, Obama is supposed to be quiet and calm and cool and uh, not fist in the air curious um now <laughs> uh jeremiah writes the one who said america's chickens are coming home to roost you remember that was malcolm x's line uh anyway um the worst i guess the, the sound bite that's caused the the most trouble is the irving berlin lyric not god bless america said Jeremiah Wright, but goddamn America. And, of course, we've had, oh, mountains and mountains of commentary explaining what he meant. And uh, the guy, let's see, the guy's retired, he's 66, and uh, the seven sermons did what they could to... uh, Does it explain why the Trinity Church is unashamedly black and unapologetically Christian? Yes. Uh, It's, I think, it isn't just the language, folks. I think it's this 60s thing. Uh, Now, no church is culturally neutral. Uh, At the same time, I can see where, I, I was just hoping that Barack Obama would, you know, grasp the nettle. And come right out and say that uh, there's good reason for Jeremiah Wright to say what he says. Uh, actually, there's one of these guys, one of the guys that did the seven sermons. Uh, he said, I'll be damned if I'm going to sit back while you tear down Farrakhan and Jeremiah Wright. How dare you? Yes. Anyway. During each sermon, the non-preaching preachers lounged on the pews next to the pulpit, and they were joined by uh, the Reverend Otis Moss III. Now, he's going to succeed right as Trinity's senior pastor. He's 37, went to Yale Divinity School, grad, yes, and uh, (laughs) Reverend Moss and the other preachers sometimes swarmed the pulpit when they heard a particularly heated cadence and they pantomimed gestures of restraint that came to seem indistinguishable from encouragement. I think you can imagine what this scene was all about. It's pretty pretty exciting, pretty theatrical. Uh, I think, uh, oh gosh, it all goes back to 1969. I remember we had a little black church right here in Oakland. We painted it black. <laughs> we did, no kidding. Uh, the building's still there. Uh, back in 1969, there was a 31-year-old theologian named James H. Cohn, and he published a book called Black Theology and Black Power. You can go a little further back, you can find a book called Black Power by Richard Wright. 
And uh, it's very interesting because uh, it is true that this stuff, uh, this stuff did get started in the 60s. And uh, what happened was that um, these guys decided that Christianity, being a white man's religion, had to be revised a bit. Uh, that is, to be Christian is to be one of those whom God has chosen, and God has chosen black people. Uh, of course, what too many people think nowadays is that that meant black separatists, and that was not the case at all. Check it out, Annals of Religion, Project Trinity, the perilous mission of Barack Obama's church. You can find it in the New Yorker of April 7th, 2008. It's got all the skivvy on uh, black theology at Trinity. This has been Jennifer Stone. Be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Celebrate the healing power of art by attending the Art of Transformation Gallery Party. It's at Studio 333 in Sausalito on Saturday, April 26th at 6 p.m. The exhibition features the work of abused and neglected children receiving treatment from Edgewood Center for Children and Families, Lincoln Child Center, Sand Paths Academy, Seneca Center, and Sunny Hills Services. $20 admission benefits participating charities. For more information, call 415-682-3201 or go to studio333.info. This is Free Speech Radio News for Tuesday, April 8, 2008. From Pacifica Station KPFK in L.A., I'm Aura Bogado. Despite continued violence, General Petraeus and Ambassador